Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome to the Pair Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I am the host, and today's episode, I interview Dr. Dominique Kondo. Also known as Dom, she is an accredited sports dietitian, a lecturer in sports nutrition at Deakin University. She can consults to the Geelong Cats Football Club and the Deakin Melbourne Boomers. Having extensive experience working with both junior and elite athletes, offering nutritional support and advice. Highlights from this episode. The importance of saying yes and working it out as you go as a sports dietitian. Why working elite sport is so rewarding. The importance of high-performance athletes fueling their training. Practical tips for footballers wanting to increase lean muscle mass. Before we start this episode, for those wanting to join our online program, we have a seven-day free trial. Head to preparelikeapro.com and join our email list to receive a free masterclass valued at $50 and a seven-day program. Let's get into today's episode. How you going, Dom? Hey, Jack. I'm well. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank, thanks for jumping on. We'll thanks for having me. To, yeah, looking forward to it. Your name's been mentioned a few times, so thanks for, for jumping on. And yeah, really looking forward to this chat. We'll, we'll start at the beginning. Uh, at what age did you discover you had a passion for nutrition? Yeah, what a good question. I think that now it uh, feels like years and years ago. Um, but I mean, I've always loved sport. So growing up with sport, my family are mad um, footy uh, supporters. So I grew up going to footy games um, back in Adelaide, from Adelaide. So always loved it. Um, but when it comes to nutrition, you know, I sort of changed my career path um, in my final year of school in, in year 12. I always um, was planning to be a lawyer and that was just the, the pathway for me. Did all of my uh, work experience in law firms and thought, yeah, going to be a lawyer. Yeah. Um, and then I did nutrition in year 12 by a bit of an accident. There was a bit of a, a mix up with my subjects and um, I just had to choose between a couple and nutrition was one. Um, and I was doing a lot of science subjects, so I thought that might go quite well with it. And I just fell in love with it. So absolutely blitzed it and thought, I need to do this um, and completely change career paths. So went into biomedical science at uni and then mastered in nutrition um, and always having my, my sports sort of passion, always a really active person myself. Um, and it sort of started from there. I started to blend my two our passions together at around yeah uni time. Awesome, oh, that's interesting. So, so a real change in in your path, which which no doubt is very common uh, at eighteen. Yeah. But what was it around that course? Had you not been exposed to a nutritionist at that point? Like, did you get to meet the nutritionist during the course, or was it just a matter of you found a, a hobby or or a passion that yet had opened up to you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, I mean, I'm an, I come from an Italian family, so we love food anyway. So yeah. food was always a big part of my life. Um, but I guess I hadn't um, thought about nutrition as a science before. Um, and I loved biology. So I was doing biology in year 12 as well and, and really loved it. Loved learning about the body and how it works. Um, and then when I started learning about nutrition, I just thought, this is, this is amazing. I just, I love understanding how um, what we eat influences the body, um, and, you know, from everything between from, from well-being to, to performance and just thought, you know, there's, there's something in this. I'd love to pursue this as a career. 
Um, I didn't know how I would become a sports dietitian. I thought um, either the nutrition, the master's um, in dietetics course that you have to do to become a, a dietitian, um, yeah. it has absolutely no sport in it at all. So it's all clinical. Um, so I wasn't exposed to sports nutrition until after I had become a dietitian. But yeah. I knew that I had this real passion for sport and nutrition that whole way through. So, um, you know, I knew it was a career option. I just had to wait until I was qualified to then specialise in area. Yeah. And were those clinical skills that you built up in your degree, have they helped you work in the elite setting? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're your foundation. Um, you know, it sounds silly, but even being able to do a nutrition assessment really quickly um, is really important when you're, when you're working with athletes. So um, they often don't like to sit down and, and talk too much about what they're eating. So, you know, you can pretty quickly get an idea and quantify um, nutrition intake with that clinical knowledge. Um, so, you know, it's essential to learn those skills. I think I just realised pretty early on that I didn't want to work in a hospital for the rest of my life with sick people, a sort of, uh, which, is, which is, I mean, amazing to, to do if that's what your passion yeah. is, but I guess I wanted to try and make athletes better. So um, using those skills, they helped you do that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and no doubt there'll be some aspiring sports nutritionists or dietitian, uh, diet, yeah, that want to um, work in elite sport like yourself, have a passion for food, have a passion for health and, and performance. Yeah. Um, how did you go about once you started to recognise the, the? How did you go about starting to get getting work experience with athletes? Yeah, it's it, again a great question and a really really challenging area. I think times are probably different. You know, ten years ago um, when that was happening versus now, um, probably less sports dietitians to start with. But obviously, the last couple of years in sport has been really challenging post COVID. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't say this expecting that it's easy for people to do at this point in time, but, um, you know, I, I reached out to people that were working in the industry. Um, I, again, I was in Adelaide at the time and, um, and met these people more through my uh, clinical work. So not many sports dietitians are full-time sports dietitians. A lot of them um, would do a couple of jobs and a lot of those jobs are clinical based or private practice and then consulted or, you know, to, to elite sports team. So I met a lot of these people through other work. Um, and, you know, if you're keen and you make a good impression, then when you touch base with them, um, sort of more likely to give you a bit of an opportunity. So I got a lot of volunteer opportunities just literally sitting like with the, the at the time it was a dietitian of the Crows and he also was a dietitian of LA United Soccer. Team, yeah. And I would just follow him around for a week and see what it was about, you know, just sit in the background. He taught me three things. Um, so, so reaching out to key people, um, also became a part of our accreditation body. So Sports Dietitians Australia, um, became yeah. a student member when I was studying. I'm now, um, vice president of, of SDA. So I guess I can say, you know, everyone should be a part of their organization. Um, but, yeah, but really, 100%. you know, taking, so yeah, taking that hat off and just talking as a sports dietitian, it is how you meet people, um, you know, through um, conferences and workshops. Um, you network with the dietitians that are working that you want to work in and, and you just ask if you can, you know, come in and um, observe or, or help them out in any way and it sort of starts from there. Once It's a pretty clicky industry. So once your foot's in the door and, and you show that you're enthusiastic, I think opportunities then start to open up. Yeah. Yeah, and so what would be your first step? Is it a matter of um, 
asking for an email address, maybe from a lecturer, or is it a phone call, giving that person a, a call? What do you think is the most respectful way? Like, all right, yeah. I'm going to go out and do what, what Tom did and get out to everyone and get some experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, emails are probably a nice um, uh, entry point. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you don't hear back, follow up with the phone call if you can, um, you know, business number or, or whatnot. Um, yep. But ask people that, you know, if it's your lecturer, yeah, I, I have a lot of my students asking me about, you know, the people in the industry. Um, and, you know, you just say you know, the main ones that are probably at a level to at least advise as well, yep. even if they don't have opportunities. So my advice to, you know, um, aspiring sports athletes at the moment or students that want to get to me through COVID, it's, it, it, it is hard. But so, so many sports dietitians are so, um, you know, uh, overworked at the moment. Uh, and staff, they've lost a lot of their hands-on support within clubs. So yeah. they might be, like, like in my case, I'm a central worker to be working in AFL. So I can still work there. But I've lost all of my help. Um, you know, I had four students with me on placements and, and that's all gone. So I'm finding myself having to do a lot of the tasks that, um, I guess I just had a lot of help for, which stopped mm. me from maybe doing some other things that I should be doing, whether it be, you know, researching the literature on the newest thing that, that someone's asked about or resource development. So I say to students that when you contact, um, these people in this current climate, think about how you can actually help them. You know, yeah, it's great what advice. can you do remotely to assist yeah. what they're yep. doing? And you'd be amazed if you could say, like, I'm really good at searching the literature and I can put together a summary of current practice. I mean, that could be incredible for, for someone that just doesn't have the time to do that because they're now doing the other sort of roles as well. So yeah. just something to think about. Absolutely. And because it is so competitive, isn't it? So to stand out, be difference into, into getting a response or or getting a, a foot in the door. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned your work at Deakin. Um, how has it changed for sports dietitians at the moment in this climate to get experience? Are you, is it a fair bit of consultations online or, um, yeah. or how, how, what's the, I guess, not modern day dietitian, but what are some skills that are starting to be important that maybe weren't a couple of years ago? Yeah, uh, this is definitely the online space. I mean, all my, so, well, I work at Deakin, um, senior lecturer there. So that's, you know, teaching and research and some other sort of roles that come with that. Um, and we've had to go all online with our teaching. So, so, you know, we're really now adapted to, to that space. But as a practitioner as well, um, my private work has gone online too. So, um, you know, I was face to face. I don't do heaps of consulting work, but. Uh, an evening a week, I'm at Core Advantage in, in Melbourne, which is which is awesome. Great, great crew there. And so that's all online now. And most dietitians um, would be online um, consulting. And it's just, you know, a new world there. It's, there are so many dietitians that are doing such amazing things online. You know, things like um, our cooking classes, um, you, know, you know, even uh, shopping tours, um, like virtual shopping tours. I, Things like that where you have to think outside the square. But then it's also around how you promote yourself, which I think is a skill that's really important that we don't get taught um, in science-based degrees on the business-savvy sort of approach. And the thing is there is a lot of competition now. Um, everyone needs to be online. Everyone wants to stand out. And, and, you know, everyone's on Instagram and these social media platforms. And so it's like how do you actually promote yourself Stand out from the crowd and get that business to do the online consulting. So, 
Um, I think they're really, really important skills that might be separate to the technical skills that you learn at university, but so crucial for career progression as well. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's something that I think I would advise, you know, all upcoming dietitians to either, um, you know, do, do a course in to educate themselves or, or start to look into investing in that space um, as a new world. And like you mentioned, it is a skill and it does, does like most skills, require practice. So um, probably don't wait until you're qualified to, to start your branding but, but um, while you're doing your degree. Absolutely. And it can be a full-time job in itself. I mean, I mean, you would, you would know when, you, when you're running podcasts and things like that, which is such an important part of a business, it takes a lot of time. Um, and at first, you may not get all of the reward back for that time, but if you actually set that up properly, and, and get the engagement, um, you know, then, then that business will start to grow. So I think it's really important to um, understand how to do that well from, from the start. Yeah. And going back to your career journey, so you, you had a foot in the door in Adelaide and that's where you got your first exposure to elite sport. Um, was mm. it everything that you expected it to be? And, and what excited you about the role shadowing um, the Adelaide practitioner at the time? Yeah, it was. I just, I love um, team sport. So, um, you know, I, I, I consult privately with, you know, endurance-based sports and in, in individual athletes. Um, but I just love being involved in that team environment. I just, I, I love the culture of it and it was everything I thought it, it would be um, following him. And then I uh, became a sports dietitian. So I went through the accreditation course. Um, that SDA have to become an accredited sports dietitian. And I got my first official gig in the Stanford League um, with the Roosters, North Adelaide Roosters. Um, and I was there for a couple of years and, and just loved that. I mean, um, different, they're very different to AFL, um, but I loved working in that, um, you know, uh, sub-elite level um, and just learned a lot, learned how to set up a program, learned how to engage with, with athletes and, and in particular, male athletes, I think sometimes as a, and it can be quite difficult to get um, young um, men on board to change diets and to think about food and to educate around cooking. So that was a massive experience um, and learning curve for me um, and really just, you know, confirm my real passion in that area of, of footy in particular. Awesome. And were you the only sports dietitian in the program? Yeah, yep. Um, so that's the thing with clubs at the moment. It is rare to have more than one dietitian. We, yeah, a lot of dietitians do have help, definitely. So, um, you know, there might be um, someone that works with, you know, the AFL. I'll use as footy as an example, the AFLW and the VFL teams. But there really is just like the one dietitian that would probably work with, um, with the first team um, and then obviously get some interns and some help in there. But yeah, there doesn't tend to be, unlike like a strength, uh, the, you know, the S&C coaches where there might be a, a team of them, there, there tends to be just the one dietitian that, that sits within that high performance or medical um, team. And you mentioned the soft skills of like engaging the athletes and, mm. um, and, and how you didn't have all the time that you would in the clinical setting but with, with footballers. Um, so would you lean on mentors or would you read books? How, how would you go about developing those skills when you realised, oh, I'm not getting my message across or, um, you know, when things weren't going as well as you would have liked, like compared to the clinic setting, how did you go about developing those skills in a, in a sporting setting? Yeah, such a good point. Um, observing a lot, to be honest. Um, I think yep. personally, 
Um, you know, sometimes it actually works against me, you know, in certain situations, but I'm a pretty, uh, I guess, personable person. Like I, I love, um, understanding how to engage with different personalities. And sometimes it can take a while, but I see it as a bit of a personal challenge that how am I going to get this person on board my journey, um, or our journey and, and shift their thinking. So I actually quite enjoy that space, but there's definitely been times, especially in footy and AFL, where you think, I just can't crack this person. I need to because uh, they really do need to make changes and I can't engage with them. But I've noticed that someone else in the team does. So maybe, you know, they wow, really okay. click, you know, with the S&C coach or, um, you know, the, the player development manager, you know, he their job, he or she's job is to really build a relationship with everyone. So they tend to have good relationships with most most of the athletes as well. So I'll I'll sort of observe, okay, who is who is this person really clicking with or or at least appears that way? Um yep. and either then get advice from them around, you know, what is the best way to engage with them and, and learn and understand, you know, or maybe a different approach. Or mm. sometimes even use them to advocate your message as well. So there that. may be times when, you know, you're not going to click with everyone or everyone doesn't want to click with you, but you've, you've identified that person and so you get them to yeah, really um, uh, yeah, advocate for what you're trying to change and, and almost be your messenger in that space. Yeah. And, and you mentioned um, observing um, mentors and watching them. Uh, mm. Would you would you ask questions live or would you save your questions for after the consultation with the athlete? Um, how would you go about or, or would you just take notes? Like did you have a journal or something? What was your process as you were developing your skill set? Um, yeah, if I was observing my mentor in that yeah, case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what we tend to do is debrief after the, the situation. So I'd sit back, I'd take notes, um, and I do this with my students now. Um, where then after that, you know, that person or that athlete has left the room, um, I would then sit down with them and say, you know, what questions do you have? How do you think that went? And that's what happened with me. That's the sort of experience that, that I had where I was able to be there and, and observe and then have the opportunity to debrief and ask questions um, and maybe ask why they did or didn't do certain things. So I learned a lot from, from that experience. Um, there are different times when maybe the athlete isn't in the room but, you know, things, um, you just might be following them around for, for a day or, and then, you know, you can ask questions on the go depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. But when they're actually consulting or talking to that athlete, it would be more of a debrief after, um, you know, but, but at the same time, so it's sort of fresh in both of our minds. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a good, good process, good form of um, feedback. Mm. Um, and then you mentioned that getting getting that experience early days really helped develop your sort of skills. At what point did you um, get an opportunity where you had a contract? In, you know, so what was your progression from that sample? Uh, yeah, what was your next I, step in the journey? Yeah, so in the sample league for a while, I then was consulting privately in Adelaide um, uh, whilst working clinically. So clinical dietitian, had my own practice, and um, and that really started to grow with the main focus being in sport. So that's where I guess I started to see the recreational athlete um, a lot more, um, you know, sort of some elite athletes, but it was more people that, uh, you know, were probably trained sometimes just as much as elite athletes, but weren't at that level, so to speak. So mm -hmm. did that a lot and, and just learned a lot about different sports in that space. Um, at that time, I then 
stopped um, consulting privately and did my PhD, started my uh, PhD um, in Adelaide. Um, so I was a clinical dietitian in, the, in a women's and children's hospital and got an opportunity to do my PhD actually in um, infant um, uh, nutrition, and maternal, maternal and infant nutrition. Um, so that was, I guess, my clinical passion at that point in time was, um, was infant nutrition and, and, and pediatrics. Um, yep. So I started my PhD there um, whilst then, yeah, still consulting as a sports dietitian. When I finished my PhD, I actually got an opportunity at Deakin in Melbourne. Um, and it was more of a, it was a very short term uh, academic opportunity. So, you know, teaching based, um, not in sport at all. Um, but just thought I'll, I'll give that a go. Um, you know, I wanted a bit of a, a change and a bit of a sea change as well. Born and bred in Adelaide. So I thought let's, let's give something else a go. So I came to Melbourne, three month contract and, um, you know, Deakin is known for their, uh, sports science degrees, um, mm-hmm. you know, I- internationally. And we're one of the only schools that has a nutrition and exercise science school. Um, but no one was doing sports nutrition or really owning that space. So we had one unit that sort of got thrown around to people that just wanted to take it, but no one mm. was really owning it. So I saw it as an opportunity um, to really try and, you know, put my name out there and, and, and network as much as I can. So that short-term contract turned into a longer-term position in sports nutrition. And then with that came the opportunity at the CAP. So... Deacon and Cats are partners, um, big partners. Um, yep. And um, we're very much, Deacon's very much embedded at the Cats as far as student placements and those sorts of things. Um, and so because my, I work at Deacon, my name sort of came up. They were um, they're looking for a dietitian and my name came up um, just through, you know, conversations. Um, and so then I was, I was approached and ended up sort of blending the roles. Um, started initially as one day a week and then it's actually now more part, like half-half, split my week between CATS um, and Deakin. And then because we have that partnership, it actually works really nicely where we can get in our Deakin students and do research and yeah. um, it's sort of one big one big role, really, that blends quite well. Yeah, that really worked out, that move, that sea yeah. change move. Um, when, Absolutely. When you, when you saw that opportunity um, to make the move and, and pivot um, to Melbourne, and Deacon was sort of your avenue. Did did you know that there was a connection with Geelong? Like, did you know there was a potential there with working in Geelong, or was it more just you wanted a bit of a change and that just eventuated? Absolutely, yeah. I wasn't aware of just how strong that connection was. Yeah. Um, and once I got in, I sort of started to you know think, oh, I see that we had um, a, our sports science, um, you know, students embedded at the Cats and whatnot, but there was definitely nothing happening with nutrition in that space. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I probably didn't understand the extent to that partnership, which has grown since I've been there as well. Um, so it's really, um, you know, really evolved a, a fair bit. So, yeah, it sort of was a secondary um, layer to, to moving um, and taking that opportunity definitely wasn't the thing that was on my mind. I thought I'd be saying, you know, goodbye to high-performance sport for just a little period in time while I... Um, found my feet, but the opportunity came up pretty quickly. So within the first, you know, three or four months of being there, so it was great. Yeah, and in your in your space of working in at Geelong, when you had one day a week, and now you're, you're part time, um, how has the role changed? And and you mentioned you had students, but now they're currently on hold with, with due to COVID. But yeah, um, you had four students as well. So how's the program evolved? As, 
Yeah, um, it's involved, I've always said, I guess when I first started, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, well, or fortunately, whatever way you look at it, uh, high performance sport um, is quite demanding, same as uh, many jobs, same as academia as well. So you, you always end up doing a little bit more than, than probably your hours too. And it's just this thing where they really suck you in because you just get so passionate about it as well. So my one day a week, I was probably doing a little bit more than that yeah. anyway um, to start with. But I guess, you know, the first year especially, it was really just around getting the, the crucial essential things done, um, which includes, you know, maybe like the, the athletes as being um, number one, which they always need to be anyway, but, you know, more that consulting with the athlete um, and then obviously the safe supplementation. Um, and they were probably the two main areas that were that were really, really key. Um, and you, you just can't do everything. So, you know, things like um, hydration testing and sweat testing and, you know, a lot of education that you really want to embed um, and, you know, then even the food service side of things and the game day, you know, that probably didn't start until a little bit later. So once I sort of really understood the landscape and really built relationships with players, so that mm. first year was really about building the rapport so that yeah. they actually trust you and you can start to just do your job a little bit better. Um, and it just sort of evolved from there. Obviously, being at Deakin, I was able to start some research, um, which has been great. So that's another sort of part of my role is, is just on, again, with COVID, we're unable to do, it, to do as much as we would like. But yeah, I run a number of research projects. Um, you know, you had honor students, PhD students have started now too. So, um, so that's, I guess, another part of my role and just how that program has, has sort of evolved. Um, this last year and this year has been challenging. I mean, last year we lived in a hub for most of it. Um, yeah. which was just, you know, it's just fascinating in itself. Um, but, um, but yeah, without students, I guess, you know, you, you find yourself doing a lot of the roles that are essential. Um, but that you'd love a bit of help with, you know, and that's everything from the food prep side of things to even like, you know, the ordering of the supplements that we need, the packing of all of our game day stuff, um, the resource development. So even like putting together, like we send out uh, nutrition newsletters um, once a month and, and send out recipes to our players and, you know, all that stuff that our, that our students do, which thank goodness they can still do some of it remotely in that space. But the hands-on stuff, it takes a lot of time and, and I find myself, you know, having to do that because all those tasks need to be done. Um, but then, yeah, it's sort of changed a little bit in the, last, in the last couple of years. Yeah. And for the developing footballers listening in, they're like, oh, wow, Dom work, you know, works at Geelong. Um, what, what can I be doing to upgrade my nutrition advice? What would be some pretty common things you see in football, certainly developing footballers as well? Yeah, um, again, great question. I mean, a lot of developing footballers, um, one of the things that, that they, like say, our draftees, uh, is that we need to get a fair bit of lean mass on them. So yep. those first couple of years is, is a real focus on gaining that lean mass. And, and for some people, some players that come in, it's around actually needing to gain the size and the mass, others, they may have the mass that we just need to lean it up a little bit. So there's a couple of different sort of situations. But the key principles that we always say, you need consistent protein and of high quality. And the one thing I see in, you know, young footballers um, is that, you know, they might have some wheat bits for breakfast and a sandwich for lunch with some, you know, muesli bars and fruit in between. 
Um, and the real hit of protein doesn't come in until dinner. Yep. Um, and that's just the Western way of eating a lot of the time. And we just need to flip that on its head. And, you know, protein should be coming in really consistently over the day, regardless of what sort of day it is. And that's just for um, gaining, you know, building that lean mass, but then also for recovery as well. So that's a big rock. Um, yep. Our fueling, so our carbohydrates, um, and we just really teach and learn about, you know, when you should be having the carbs and, and, and in what amounts and what types and, and whether, you know, someone that needs to really gain size, that carb intake would be quite high all the time um, to really get that extra energy in versus someone that might want to just, you know, reduce some fat mass, say, but maintain size, then that carb would really fluctuate around their training program. So, the, the, you know, that, that carb intake is a big part of, of what, you know, we talk about in that first year. Um, and hydration. Um, you'd be amazed at how little um, a lot of, you know, uh, athletes that are younger actually drink. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we really educate around not just having these boluses of, of fluid when you're about to go play, but just how much you actually need over the day because the link between hydration and performance and especially, you know, in hot, pre-season sort of training sessions or early season um you know if you're from victoria say um you really do need to get that that fluid intake in yeah and you've mentioned throughout the chat like uh, a lot of education that goes into working with athletes like cooking classes and the newsletter absolutely um, yeah what, what would be um some good rest like do you have recipes on your website or are there some sort of things that people can follow whether it be smoothies yeah, absolutely. Yep, I do. Um, and then, I, you know, we, we post, post regularly um, on social media platforms as well around some recipes too. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm happy to even, you know, if guys if it helps to share some with you, happy to do that as well um, if anyone's interested. So, yeah, but the recipe, the, the food um, the, like planning and prepping is just, um, yeah. and, and, you know, if you really eager to, to um, make changes and to improve performance you have to know what you're going to eat around your training sessions coming up and not just think about it the hour before um, and I really think that's how you know you can make a good just really the same way you'd have your training plans you have your nutrition planned around that yeah and then on that like periodization with nutrition gets thrown around a little bit um for those that don't quite understand how periodization and nutrition works, what can be the benefit for adopting um, periodization throughout you know, your different phases of off-season, pre and season? Yeah, and I guess, you know, that, that um, example I gave around changing carb intake around training is an example of periodization where yeah. essentially you're adapting what you're eating around the different phases, and that can be macro, um, so times of season, or micro, so training sessions. Um, and I guess the real benefit of that is making sure that, you know, you're, you're fueling appropriately, you're recovering adequately, and you're getting the changes that you're after in body composition, um, whether that be increasing mass or reducing fat mass. And so actually doing that at different phases and, and changing that energy and macronutrient intake can really help with those goals. Yeah. And it, is, is there a danger in putting on muscle too quickly at a young age, like for, for the 16, 17, 18-year-old footballers listening in? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, depending on body types, some body types gain muscle quickly, um, especially if they're really eating a lot around those training sessions. And I guess what I've um, seen is that that extra load quickly can then mm. increase some injury risk as well. So you do have to be really careful about not putting it on 
um, you know, in, in, a, in a fashion that's just, you know, within a couple of months, you're six kilos heavier. You do want to actually plan that out. And as a bit of a rule of thumb, like with our first year, um, over the, the whole first year, um, we wouldn't want to see more than a 10 kilo weight gain at max. And now some people wouldn't even gain two kilos because they don't have to. They already come in pretty solid. Whereas others, you know, we, we know that we need to get them stronger and get them to gain size. And it might be that in five years' time, they're actually 20 kilos heavier than when they came in. But that should actually be a slow progression towards that. You don't need to gain everything in that first year. So, um, you know, we often say a 10% sort of, you know, weight gain on, on a weight would is about right in that first year. Yep. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Lucas has sent through a question. We'll do, for those that have questions, as soon as you think of them, guys, send them through the chat box and we'll get them all um, end of the, um, probably the efficient way. Um, so going back to, to your career journey there, are there some, so you're now in the elite level and you're at, you're at Geelong and you're working at Deakin, so you're pretty much at the pinnacle there. That's a good duo. Um, what help, Were there people that helped you get there? Were there some strong mentors? Uh, who were some strong influencers? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like as to that that um uh dietitian in Adelaide that I guess really first interest sports nutrition and opened up opportunities for me was a huge um influence in my life. So um he, Anthony Mead, um from uh, South Australia. Yeah. Um he doesn't consult heaps in sports anymore, but he was one of the leaders in that space. Um so he was yeah, yeah, really, really crucial for me. Um, I guess one of my um, old lecturers um, that influenced me um, to actually start my PhD, I think my PhD, doing a PhD is what really opened all the doors for me. And it was it's a point of difference. More and more people are now doing PhDs, but there's not heaps of, of sports dietitians that are PhD qualified. Um, and I think that that really opened up opportunities within high performance sport to sort of stand out a little bit and to be able to offer something a little bit different from the research sort of evidence-based perspective. So yeah. that was yeah. huge for me. And, and I personally feel like it's changed my career, um, you know, in, in, in a way that I didn't, I didn't expect. And I'm not even in the area that did my PhD in anymore whatsoever. My research is now all sports. Um, but even even so, it's um, yeah opened up so many opportunities. So um, that was that was a really big influence for me. Um, and then since actually coming to Melbourne um, and yeah. and to Deakin and, and the Cats, um, there's a, a senior. Well, he's a professor now at Deakin, um, and still my my main mentor. Who um, just is my uh, you know supporter and um. And it's just opened up these opportunities and allowed me to, I guess, have both of, of these roles um, and trust me to, to do my job um, with, yep. with both demands. Um, and, yeah, he, he's been incredible for me. Um, and then from the Cats perspective, um, actually our old footy um, GM, um, who's coming back to the Cats as CEO, uh, was yeah. a huge mentor for me as well. So, okay. um, Who are those guys' so, names? The prof- I'll write them in the people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Brad Aisbert, um uh, and Steve Hocking. Um, so they were yeah pretty big influences. And Brad knows you know where you know Brad is still in that space. Um, so you may not know probably the extent of influence that he that he did have. Uh, but just shoot from a footy perspective. So so yeah, they were some pretty key people. And, and you mentioned the PhD. 
um, being a real uh, open more doors for your, for your career. Um, was yeah. that your motivation when you, because it's, it's no easy feat. Uh, if it was, there would be a lot more that do it. Um, yeah. Was that your motivation or were you, you were particularly interested in that topic and, you, and it was like, like the Deacon role just at, and Geelong connection that just eventuated? Same, was that the same as the PhD or did you sort of do that set me apart? Yes, great question. I honestly left uni thinking I do not want to be a researcher. Like I did my master's, I did biomedical science and master's in dietetics that had a research component. And I just thought it's just not my passion. My passion is people and Mm. practitioner, you know, being a practitioner. Uh, But I realized I really miss science and research. And I guess I've always been a little bit of a um, a studier and a bit of a you know, just just loved. I just loved it, and I and I realized I, I really did miss it. But this is going to sound a little bit strange. It probably shouldn't be anybody's motivation to do a PhD. But I sort of, I was just a little bit bored, to be honest, mm. um, in Adelaide. In that I was, you know, I was doing my clinical job in the hospital, but I just thought I don't feel like I'm being yet challenged and stimulated um, the way that I wanted to. I knew that it would be a very comfortable career path and, and a great one, but I just felt like there would be there was something missing for me. Um, yeah. And so I just thought, what are the options? What what can I actually? And then when I was, you know, just told that, well, you're actually eligible to do a PhD because of my master's degree. Um, and I thought, well, I thought of I thought I'd always thought it'd be cool to be a doctor, and I'm not going to go back and do medicine. So I guess it's a way. <laughs> Yeah. become a different sort Absolutely. of doctor um yeah. you know if i knew how much work i probably wasn't as prepared for it as i should have been it was the most intense four years of my life um but as i said like the biggest learning curve and so well worth, worth it, it. yeah, yeah. Uh, super inspiring for the, for those tuning in um and you, how did you go about finding your subject and and um and, and starting your PhD and getting that approved as well. How hard was that? Yeah. Um, well, for, for, there's a few different ways you can do that. In my situation, I was working again at the Women's and Children's Hospital, so I had contact there. Um, yeah. And so it was sort of a natural progression where I, I expressed interest in doing my PhD and then the, you know, the clinical dietetic unit was connected with a research unit at the hospital um, and so um, the head of that research unit was also a, she was a professor but she was a dietitian um, as, for, as a qualification um, and just sort of had a meeting with her and she they were a really successful research group and so were um, you know had won lots of grants um, uh, from NHMRC so big grant money where they could run these projects and so she sort of said, these are the projects that we've actually got going or about to start that we are looking for PhD students and your scholarship would come under, you know, that grant money. So I sort of had, you know, a couple of options of projects within maternal and infant nutrition um, from that from that sort of way. Now, that's one way that you can do things. I think times have changed a lot since then as well, where, you know, the research money probably isn't um, as common to get. Um, some of these big grants um, and so to have a scholarship lined up in that way is probably a little bit more rare what tends to happen now is um, you know if I've got PhD students at Deakin and whatnot and uh, it would be a, a I might have a project that I'm sort of wanting to start and I would put out an advertisement for students that have got like a first class honours so they're actually eligible for a scholarship through the university um, and, the, and it's almost like an application process almost like a job going for any job 
where that that um, PAC opportunity um, advertised. Um, or I get students contacting me saying, I really want to do a PhD. This is my background. You know, does it align with, with your current projects? And you sort of start to establish a project together. Yeah. And has that been something that um, could be done at Geelong Cats under your program? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So had a few honours students and now they're sort of transitioning into some PhD projects. So, um, yeah, whether it be Geelong Cats or more like, you know, footy in general, um, uh, you know, female sport, I do a lot of my work in as well. And, you know, through Deakin, we have contacts with a lot of sport, you know, basketball, netball, footy. So, um, it may be more broad or it could be um, specific to one sort of club. Yeah, and you mentioned basketball. You're, you're consulting at Boomers as well. So um, yeah. you've had great experience across different sports. Um, is that something, like, is that an intention of yours or is it so you sort of go where you sort of, where you, you know, where there's a, an opening in your, in your week and if it fits the right timing with your schedule, then you'll, you'll take it on? How do you manage these different programs that are involved in? Yeah. Um, no, I, I always, like, I never say no to an opportunity straight away. Like, I think you always have to think about opportunities and how you can learn from them. And, and all sports are different. Um, at the end of the day, I think the principles of nutrition in team sport, you're going to use the same principles and just apply them differently depending on, on the athlete. Yeah. So, um, as I said, team sport is my real expertise. And, and I just see that whether it's basketball, netball, footy, um, you know, rugby, you use that same sort of approach and just adapt it to the requirements. Um, so, you know, I really do like to have, um, you know, or get experience across a few different team sports to sort of, you know, expand my expertise in, in that area. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do see a lot of individual athletes um, in my private work and, you know, endurance base as well. But, you know, I haven't had the experience of working in, you know, in the institutions like, you know, VIS or AIS where you work with an Olympic-based athlete. I mean, I think that would be an incredible um, experience as well and, and very different to sort of my experiences more in that team sport sort of culture. So that's something yeah. that I um, I haven't done, but, um, you know, something that hopefully one day I'll get the opportunity to do as well just to, to keep learning and, and understand yeah. how to do it. What have we got, Brisbane operate. 32? There you go. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And you mentioned like how at a sports dietitian, most of the time you'll be part-time. So as you're, yeah. as you're building your brand and um, you're working your way into the field, um, is it, is, are there other ways out of working in the clinic and working at a uni that you can income? Dietitian, like you mentioned, building your own brand. Yeah. Like yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that um, you, you have to think outside of just, high-performance high sport, you know. Yeah. Um, like, there is a whole world of such incredible recreational athletes that want the advice from, um, you know, dietitians that work in high-performance sport. And, yeah. and to be honest, that's probably going to make up the bulk of your work. And so it's about thinking, how can I actually, like, what can I do differently to engage with, with that population group? Now, of course, one-on-one consulting is definitely something to, to think about, but, you know, there are so many different ways, um, you know, even thinking about, um, you know, online programs that you can start to work with, um, you know, resources, developing resources, writing books. I mean, I know that this is, you know, might be above where some people are at, but you have to think how do you actually use 
that knowledge and expertise that you have in high performance sport and relate that to people that are actually, you know, training a fair bit. And so principles yeah. are still really useful, but they're actually going to be where you'll get the bulk of your income. Um, and so you have to sort of think outside the square in that space. But I think, yeah, that, that's, that needs to be where most of the focus. Yep. And then how do you go about, like, now that, you, you know, you've done your PhD, um, what, are, what are some ways that you currently self-develop yourself and grow your knowledge and, and your practical skills um, yourself, like you mentioned, like in the know and, and sharp at, at what you're doing? Yeah, um, I think that the lucky thing about working at a university is that it's my job to keep up with the evidence because I have to teach it. So um, yeah. that's actually, uh, you know, it's difficult to do, but it's a part of my role. Um, and so, you know, and that's what I love about science um, is that it's always evolving. And that can be really frustrating for people, especially in nutrition. What we have to remember is that nutrition science is such a, a young area of science. Mm. So it's still developing. So that's why, like, last week, so, okay, that's an exaggeration. Last year we may have said this is, this is what, how we do things. And then this year we've decided, oh, actually, you know, it's changed a little bit and people just say, oh, you know, there's so many conflicting views around nutrition. But it's just that the evidence emerges and we learn more um, and, and it sort of builds on each other. And so, you know, I think um, personally I just try my best to keep on top of the evidence base in my area, in sports nutrition more specifically. Um, yep. You know, you can't be an expert at everything. So I don't know everything about nutrition for clinical diseases, um, but I, I really try and, and obviously read the scientific evidence around my, my area of expertise. Um, and then, you know, do, going to conferences, going to um, workshops. So as an example, you know, Sports Science in Australia will run now webinars, online webinars often, from ex experts in the area, um, you know, whether it be learning about the dietitians that have just come back from Tokyo and doing a, a, a webinar on their experiences and, and, and yeah, what yeah. they learned and passed on. You know, you can always learn from each other. And so engaging in those sorts of things just keeps your knowledge base up and keeps you fresh um, as a practitioner as well. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's um, one of the other benefits of having different roles in, in the industry is that you can transfer those skill sets that you develop, like you said, with the research helps your role at Geelong and, and with the boomers. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll have a qu quick little drink break, guys. Uh, this is a short video about our academy, and then we'll a couple of questions around his football. And if you've got any questions for those tuning in, feel free to send them through. Hey, my name's Troy. I'm one of the Prepare Like a Pro Academy members. Um, would highly recommend anyone that's interested in getting into strength and conditioning or just a player that's wanted to up their game to, to jump on the academy. It's been such a good investment for me, especially as a beginning strength and conditioning coach. Jack has a heap of experience at the highest of levels um, and he's got a great knowledge of strength and conditioning especially regarding footballers the guests that he gets on at the top of their field they're at such a high level and he really allows me to interact with them and um, ask questions find out information that's really beneficial for me so without the academy i wouldn't have been able to um, speak to these high level people that i really look up to like Lockie wilmont um, and dylan shill so um, i think it's a very worthwhile investment um, it's been yeah great for me and would highly recommend it for anyone else welcome back guys so we've got a few questions through from our patreon members we'll uh start with lucas o'day so should i be eating at quarter time half time or three quarter time and if so what 
Yeah, awesome question, Lika. So, um, in short, yes, we should be eating something over again to make sure that those energy levels are maintained. Um, and the key there is to get the sugar levels up. So we don't want anything that's going to take a long time to digest. It should be a simple carbohydrate. Now, that can be anything from, you know, some, some fruit um, is a good option. Um, you might see athletes having lollies at that time, energy gels at that time. Um, you know, dried fruit can be good too. Uh, fruit drinking, fruit juice or Gatorade. So you don't need a lot, but having something small, um, you know, either, you know, especially half time, um, potentially as a small, you know, carbohydrate drink at, at the quarter time break will just make sure that you maintain those um, energy levels throughout the game. Next question. Is there a window before and after a game or training to eat without feeling sick? Yeah, so um, feeling sick is a, is a common um, issue that a lot of athletes have. And it can be a combination of, um, you know, the digestion that might be a little bit slower um, when nerves are involved, but nerves really um, tend to be the main thing that can cause this. So we have to think before a game, um, you really want a good two or three hours to eat your last main meals. It can be digested in time to actually have as energy. So. You don't need to eat that close to a game, something that's substantial. You know, three hours before getting in your last main meal and then popping up with something that isn't too heavy so it won't make you feel sick. And there are a lot of players that I work with that, you know, can feel quite nauseous on game day and whatnot. They might just get it more from your, their liquid-based foods, so to speak. So, again, in that last half an hour to hour, whether that be, um, you know, a milk-based drink some people like getting in a smoothie or a flavored meal or a juice or the Gatorade at that, you know, in that half an hour, that will make sure that you top up those levels. But your last main meal can be three hours beforehand to give yourself time to digest. Um, afterwards, um, you know, what we know is that the earlier you eat, the, the quicker that recovery will, will start. Um, we used to think that you had this window of opportunity for, um, I guess, muscle recovery from, from a protein intake perspective. We now know that that's probably not as essential. The essential thing about protein is the consistency over the day rather than you have to get in this window of opportunity after you play. So as long as it's within the couple of hours after, um, you know, you can give yourself your body time to just calm down a little bit for the adrenaline to calm because that's probably what's going to make you feel a little bit. Again, if you can get in a bit of fluid straight away, you know, whether it be uh, a flavoured milk or, or um, you know, a little bit of a, a sports drink as well to start that recovery from even a hydration perspective, that's ideal. Uh, but ideally in the one to two hours after you have your, your, your sort of post-game main meal. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Dom. That was great. I know Lucas will have his note put out, notepad out writing down uh, those answers. So thank you so much for your thorough answer. Awesome. And, um, yeah, great questions, Lucas. This is a... Um, uh, a lighter segment it's a bit of a get to know you part of the podcast dom so yeah uh, it doesn't have to be sports dietitian specific um okay which movie or tv series has impacted you the most and why oh such a good question okay i think um there's gonna be there's two i would say there's friends um yeah. and just because it just took saw me through so many years of my in my younger years and just the best memories of waiting for friends to come on like I think it was a Monday night um yeah. just loved it and now 
since I've been drinking and like I'm sure many people have been, I've just started watching them all over again. Um, and they're just, it's just such a feel-good, beautiful show. So loved Friends. Um, a main one, and I guess it's probably more speaking to the females um, side of things, is Sex mm. in the City. Just just saw me through my uni years. And all I remember yeah. is, um, you know, studying till really late and then having my cup of tea watching a Sex in the City episode um, and just completely took my mind off things and um, and probably just had the biggest, you know, impact from from what it did for me from a emotion feeling. So yeah, that has nothing, yeah, nothing yeah. to do with any performance base or it's just two very light-hearted stories that bring really happy memories. Yeah, but they probably do help you perform, don't they? Like, um, well, it's a really important part. Yeah, <laughs> right on, yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. Well, um, there's no doubt a few people tuned in that are looking for some new shows or, or to refresh off some some old classics, so there's a couple yeah. big ones there. Favourite inspirational quote or life motto? Yeah, um, I'm not one for big, you know, inspirational quotes, but my, my life motto, I think, is simple and it's just be kind. Um, I think awesome. not enough people are kind. Um, and I just think regardless of, of where you get or where you want to be, um, you know, uh, doing it in a way that you're true to yourself and you respect people and you're kind to people um, it will get you there. You don't need to be, um, you know, uh, this, you have this big ego or feel like you have to be someone that you're not to make it in high-performance sports. Some, some mm. cultures and environments make you feel that way um uh, because it's very competitive um but but i i just have always stood by that and um you know and and i just think it's really really important yeah absolutely to share especially in tech world at the moment um yeah uh, in your work life what makes you angry? um yeah now i won't i won't sort of get on my uh, <laughs> uh soapbox about this but yeah. probably um people that are not qualified to give nutrition advice and do I yeah, think that probably as a dietitian, and I'm sure we all say it, um, but, you know, nutrition is one of those things that it's really hard because everybody eats, yeah. right? And everybody has an opinion around what makes them feel good, what makes them perform well, um, and, and then feel like, feel like they can pass that on. Um, mm. And, you know, that can get dangerous when you're working in a high-performance sport and you have certain people in say the high performance team who are amazing at what they do but are not trained in nutrition giving nutrition advice um and i guess it's frustrating because you know a lot of the times the advice is actually not what we would want to be saying um and 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 sometimes can be detrimental to performance so um you know having to then undo that and um especially if they've got pretty influential voices um can be really challenging and just frustrating What's your favourite way to spend your day off? Oh, I haven't had a day off for a while, but if I did, it would be. Uh, um, I'm not. I'm not much of a. I don't sleep in a lot, but maybe a little sleep in. Um, yeah. Always coffee. Always start with coffee. If it was a day off, I'd probably have a couple. Um, yes. Take the dog for a walk. Go for a big run. Um, come home. Um, and then um, probably uh, just do some cooking um, and go out for some wine and cocktails with the girls. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> it's a nice full yeah, day. It's a, it's a balance, isn't it, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You've got to make the most of it. Well, you do. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Um, and then last one, favorite holiday. So this is COVID-free world. Favorite oh, holiday what a dream. A dream. Have a dream for a Oh, guys, holiday. How good does that feel? Um, okay, so I'm a, a summer butler. I just love the heat. I can sit in the sun. I'm like a lizard. Hotter the better. So it'd have to be somewhere really warm. Um, I used to do a lot of travel to Europe for my deacon work um, and it was always over Europe summer and it's just incredible. And I'm Italian and I've been to Italy a few times and that is honestly my favourite place in the whole world. So Italian summer, uh, one of the Italian islands, Sardinia is incredible, Sicily, um, yeah. on a beach, can't get much better. Yeah, pretty good. That, I haven't been to Italy, but it's yeah. definitely on my list. My, my dad says it's, oh. it's fantastic, the food and oh, the culture. Just the and the food. food, oh, it's incredible. Yeah, so yeah. definitely my fave. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll wrap it up with uh, what are you excited about for, for 2021 on the horizon for you? Uh, for 2021 or 22? Are we thinking oh, the end of the, this year? The end of this okay. year. Okay. Yeah. But you can yeah, go 22 yeah, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 good. Um, yeah. I, I think outside of the professional world for a minute, I'm, um, you know, I, I'm excited for the world to Australia to hopefully go back to some sort of normal so that we can all do what we love to do a little bit more. Um, excited to have that work-life balance back to go to the gym to be able to travel and do all those sort of things so that's more of a personal level I'm excited for that from a work perspective um, I'm really excited about some of the opportunities that are coming up at Deakin and the Cats um, I think you know we're starting again some, some really exciting PhD projects so I'm really excited to see um, where where that goes um, and that's you know the, the my my research career um, is, you know, starting to because I changed careers from my focus from to sports nutrition. It takes a while to build up, and it's really starting to get that momentum. So, you know, we've got some funding, we've got PhD students, and I think as soon as we're able to start our data collection again, I can really see that to be my next big focus. I'm really excited about that. Just cross it can come back soon, and and thank you so much for coming on tonight and sharing your experience. Thanks for having and- me. And, uh, and you know, providing some good insight into what elite athletes are doing with their nutrition, uh, as well as plenty of advice for sports dietitians as well to, to get better. For those that want to um, connect with you and, and check out like your website and uh, all the things that you're doing, um, where's the easiest place to help them? Yeah, probably if you um, pop onto the Instagram, my Instagram page, and then the bio, um, the link to the website and whatnot is all on there. So that's probably the easiest. And- you know, any questions, um, you know, feel free to, to send me a message via that, um, that area. Um, and if you are someone that wants more individualised advice or consultations on the website, you can book online um, for online consults. Awesome. Very good. We'll make sure we put the Instagram uh, handle as well as your website in the show notes. And, yeah, thanks again, Dom. Really looking forward to Thank you. Um, speaking and, and meeting with you in the flesh one day uh, in a COVID-free world, but no doubt it'll be, Absolutely. maybe we'll do a, a big panel of, of sports dietitians sometime as well, which will be good fun. Be awesome. Thanks for having me, Jack. Awesome. Cheers, Tom. Speak soon. Ooh, go dude. Cats as well. Yeah, go Cats. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I know I took a lot out of it. Uh, super inspirational chat with Dom there. So it's the some part of that chat you can head to our youtube channel to watch the full episode and launch it on our podcording on spotify and itunes uh, subscribe to the podcast and we'll launch that episode in the next couple of months if you're uh, new to prepare like a pro 
make sure to head over to our Instagram page. We've give away plenty of freebies by subscribing to our newsletter. And our next live chat is going to be next Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. with Jared Egan, a strength and conditioning coach who worked at Port Adelaide for a number of years and is now managing the Sydney Grammar program there. So looking forward to that chat. If you have any questions or queries, feel free to hit us up. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open 
to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and, yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.